Welcome to Sounds Erotic, the voices of erotica. Allow me to tell you a little about the show. Sounds Erotic is a weekly podcast that introduces you to the most interesting, unique, and successful people in erotica. We will explore topics that you might never have considered and introduce you to forms of erotica that pique more than just your interest. Leading you on this journey will be me. Who am I? My name is Alex Anders, and as an erotica author, I have published more than 40 titles. My stories have been translated into German, Spanish, French, and you can find a lot of them as audiobooks narrated by yours truly. I've always been drawn to all forms of sex, so I have written stories for both men and women, whether you are straight, gay, or bi. And all of my books can be found at alexandersbooks.com. I look forward to you checking them out. But that's enough about me. More importantly, I am very glad to have as my first guest, Selena Kitt. Welcome, Selena. Hi. And for those who do not know, the very few, Selena was the 2006 Literatica People's Choice winner as she was in 2007, 2008, 2009. The people have chosen you a lot, Selena. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and on top of that, you were the uh, 2007 most influential writer on Literatica, as you were in 2008 and 2009. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the 2011 Epic Ebook Award winner for your, was it your first gay erotica book? Yeah, it's actually a, a story. It's about 15,000 words, but um, it was my first foray into uh, the gay male genre. And you won an award for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was kind of nice to be recognized for that. I, I was surprised, but it was nice. Well, before we uh, really get started, I think I have to ask the, the first obvious question. You know, we're both erotica writers, so the question is, what do you like most about sex? What do I like most about sex? Um, fantasy sex or real sex? Anything, uh, any aspect of sex that you like. Um, sex is fun. Um, you know, there's, uh, what, it's, there is no such thing as bad sex. That's like bad <laughs> pizza. There's no such thing. Um, you know, I, I, I guess that, you know, the thing that draws me to writing about sex is, um, the fact that there's, it's relationship. There's always, uh, uh, you're always talking about relationship, you know, depending on, you know, however many people you have involved, you know, whether it's two or three or five, you know, it doesn't matter. You're always talking about relationship. If you're not, you're just doing, you know, insert tab A into slot B and, you know, right. anybody can do that. So, um, you know, my, you know, my favorite part of sex is sex. I mean, you know, I mean, really the, my favorite part of sex is, I guess, would be intimacy, you know, mm. the 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 sharing between two people and the connection, you know, a lot of the stuff that I've done and, and a lot of the stuff that um, I've explored has been uh, about more about intimacy than it has, you know, slot, slot B and tab A. Right, right. And how many stories have you written at this point? Uh, well, I have out there, I have over 60 titles available right now. Starting from what year did you start writing? Um, I started writing erotica in 2006. Um, I really started, I, I think, so I think the survivor contest was 2007 or 2008, but I joined literatica in 2006 and, and wrote my first story then, but really didn't get into it for a, another year or two. Do you even remember what your first story is? My first story was um, actually called Lizzie's First Time, and it was a lesbian uh, erotica story. Um, they say, write what you know. So <laughs> I kind of went back to um, my my first experience with a woman, which was um, um, 
just I was I was younger I was just out of high school and she was a little older and she was somebody I worked with and it's a semi-autobiographical it's actually now out available um the I wrote the first part of it um for Literatica and then developed it into actually a menage story where I added a guy later uh it's called Taken and it's actually free right now on um Amazon and Barnes and Noble and other vendors. So if anybody wanted to read it, it's it's out there and it's available. Oh, that's great. That's great. How do you think your storytelling has changed since that very first one? Well, you know, I, I think when I was first writing, and I think a lot of erotica writers do this, you start writing about your own fantasies and your own experiences, and then you start thinking more about um characters and you start you know developing other people in your writing and what these other people would react to and how they would act in situations so you know i, I think your writing develops over time um you know and you I, I still explore for the most part my own fantasies um you know they're just i think a, a deeper expression now than than they were back then do you think that all of your stories have uh your main characters or heroines have a personality trait in common or is it just all over the place? Um, I write a lot of coming of age stories, um, you know, where the heroine tends to be younger. She tends to be rather inexperienced, um, but she's also very curious and passionate and, you know, interested in sex. And, um, you know, that seemed to be something that I like to explore and people like to read. Um, So, you know, that tends to kind of be a theme, not through all of my work, but through a lot of it. That's really interesting because, you know, as you know, I'm a, a writer as well, and I was looking back at my books in preparation for this, and it kind of dawned on me that I do something similar. Like, I did not realize until I thought about it that all of my stories have to do with acceptance. It's not so much about intimacy. It's about a person finding someone else that looks at them and says, you know, I I, I take you for who you are, no matter how the sex is afterwards. So right. it's interesting how we explore our own things in our writing. Always. You know, a writer can't not put themselves into their work. And you are, I think I heard you have your master's? Yeah, I have a bachelor's in English, and then I I have a master's in psychology. What aspect? Um, Counseling psychology. Oh, really? Mm Mm-hmm. How much does that come into play with your writing? Uh, Probably hugely. Um, You know, I I think there's a psychological component to all fantasy. Um, so, you know, a lot of the a lot of the categories that I explored on Literatica, some of them really weren't my thing, like the gay male category. I know a lot of women read it. I'm not one of those women. It's not that, you know, I feel like Seinfeld. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just not my personal kind of thing, you know, so that, you know, when I when I explored that aspect of things, it was really having to get into the psychology of it. And, you know, there's there's different psychological aspects to all of the, the fantasies out there. When I first did Literatica, I started doing a um, contest called Survivor, and it was back when Survivor was really popular, and they, it was as many stories as you could write in a year in all of their in all of their possible categories. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there were many that didn't appeal to me, but I had to get behind the psychology of them. And once I did that, and once I was able to, you know, get into a character's head and find their motivation, then it was easy. It's an interesting journey, isn't it? It is. Finding, going to that, uh, going to that place where you look at a genre and you go, I don't know if this appeals to me so much, but let me give this some thought. Let me explore it. Let me see if there's something within here that I can find that appeals to me. Yeah. And, you know, I think I've got a lot of experience. Because I did that contest, I, you know, it pushed my boundaries a lot. Um, you know, there was a lot of there were a lot of things I, I'd never considered. There were fantasies I discovered. Whoa, I really like this. I had no idea <laughs> that that was a thing for me. You know, and and like for example, like for example, um, there there are taboo fantasies that you know that push my buttons that I had no idea. You know that that were um, the you know probably the most risque 
topic out there right now are, are the incest fantasies. And most people, when they say, you know, even now, you know, the pseudo incest erotica that's out there, you know, between stepbrother and stepsister instead of real brother and real sister, mm-hmm. people will say, writers will say, well, you know what? It's not my thing, but it sells, so I'm writing it. You know, or they'll say, you know, people will preface, you know, with this whole censorship thing going on, they'll preface it with, well, I don't read it, but, you know, I'll defend your right to write it if you, you know, feel the need to. And what's funny to me is no one will admit that, hey, I I have these fantasies and they're totally normal and lots of other people have them because guess what? Lots of people are buying these books. Yes, yes. As a quick insertion here, right now as we record this, there's a big thing going on with PayPal wanting to limit the amount of choices the readers have and the places they've chosen to attack are um, incest, bestiality, non-consent, and within that incest is pseudo-incest, which is the um, stepsisters, uh, stepfather, stepmother uh, storylines. Right. Right. And you are famous for, if, if not all the books that you've sold, you were involved in some controversy with your incest books with Amazon a few years ago. Yeah. Back in late 2010, they decided to... Um, Start pulling books off their shelves, ebooks, and not print books off there. Well, actually, they pulled my print books too, but um, for the most part, it was self-published work, and it was um, incest and bestiality that they had drawn the line at. And I had three, basically three novels at the time that had incest in them, and they had all stemmed from my work at Literatica, you know, because incest was incest is a huge category in Literatica. A lot of people read it, a lot of people like it. And so when I first started writing it, I was one of those people who said, hmm, I don't know. Let's see if I can do this. I started doing it, and I was like, once I got behind the psychology of it, it, it made sense to me. And it incest is not – incest fantasies. Mm-hmm. Let's draw the line yes, there. Yes, absolutely. Incest fantasies. Because this is all fiction. It's all fantasy. Erotica is fantasy. It's about exploring a fantasy in a safe way incest fantasies are not about wanting to have sex with your mom or your dad. They're actually not about wanting to have sex with, you know, your brother. Incest fantasies, usually people are fantasizing about other people. You're not fantasizing about your actual brother, your actual mom, your actual dad. And most of the time, incest fantasies, when they, when you boil them down, it's about, strangely, it's about love. At the root of an incest fantasy is it's about loving someone against all odds. It's it's a totally taboo, forbidden thing against all social convention. You love them. It's 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 a love bigger than you know all of that stuff. At the root, if it's done really well, that's what it's about. And it's even in mainstream fiction. And as uh, you might know, I have a series called Twincest, which dances the line in some books and then crosses lines in others. And when I first sat down to write it, I thought, you know, this is a very cool title. I know that pseudo-incest is popular, as you said. Um, can Can I do this? And I stopped and I thought, and what really appealed to me about the story and allowed me to go through with it was that it's about two people in the twins situation where they are so close to each other that there are no barriers between them. Exactly. They can almost slide within each other's mind. They're just so accepting and and so there for one another. Mm -hmm. And that is appealing. It is. I mean, who knows you better than your family, you know, and and psychologically, you know, we want to be seen. We want to be acknowledged. Like you talked about, you know, you write about acceptance. You want you want someone to completely accept you for who you are. And, you know, there's no other place in the world that is like that except for family. So I'm not talking literally. I'm not talking reality. I'm talking in your head, in that fantasy space. That's really what it's about. So that, you know, when when I wrote those stories, that's where that was coming from. But, you know, a lot of people don't understand it. And a lot of people don't have, you know, that particular... I think it has to, you know, ring your bell or push your button. You know, there are people who are into BDSM and there are other people who think that's crazy. And, you know, it's it's another one of those fantasies that kind of 
goes to the edge and it, it's a fringe kind of thing, at least in our acceptance of it. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the numbers, you look at the volume of incest fiction, say on Literatica, that's free. And there it's their most popular category. And now if you look at Amazon is allowing what they call, they banned incest fiction and then they started allowing what they call, well, what the writers now call pseudo incest. So there's a ton of that and it's selling fantastically well. So there are a lot of people who have this fantasy who don't like to talk about it. Right. So what is your most popular book? Um, my most popular book is, uh, has been since probably 2009, Babysitting the Baumgartners. The Baumgartners. Baumgartners, yes. Baumgartners. Mm-hmm. What is, and what is it about? Um, it's about a 19-year-old babysitter who um, gets invited to a uh, to go to Key West with her with a family that she's been babysitting the kids for a really long time, and um, they go on vacation together. And the older couple seduces her. Hmm. And why do you think it is that your readers have responded so well to this? Um, I, I mean, I guess it's you know the the thing that I I hear most often in feedback is that. It seems to be a hot button or trigger fantasy for people. It seems to be something that people have fantasized about, you know, the older couple, the younger, more innocent babysitter who, you know, and it, there's a power play going on there. Um, in real life, it would so not be okay yeah. for that to happen <laughs> um, on so many levels. But in fantasy, it is okay. And in fantasy, we get to explore all that stuff that, you know, we we don't get to actually do. That's the fun part. And I think that's one of the things that really appeals to people. I also think, you know, it appeals to them because, She's like a lot of my other characters. She's young. She's rather innocent, but she's curious and very, very sensual and sexual. And it's an awakening of her sexuality. And I think that, you know, that part of it, that kind of unfolding of your sexuality and, you know, that aspect of it, I think people really like that part. I think they liked that part of my second most popular book is is an incest book it's called under mr nolan's bed and it's about two girls who you know are they're teens but they're you know late teens they're graduating and one of the girls falls in love with her best friend's father okay. and you know like in real life so not okay right <laughs> <laughs> but in fantasy we can explore that and you know that's it's another situation where you know both girls especially the one who you know falls in love with her best friend's father she's a little more innocent than her friend and it's you know about her discovering her own sexuality but i have to think you know there there are a lot of stories out there about babysitters or about falling in love with your best friend's dad but there has to be something more to your stories where just people have connected with it so much and you've sold so many copies over the year there's there's an aspect of it that is intangible. It, it, what could that be? I, you'd have to read it and tell me. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I hear from, I hear from a lot of readers who say your characters are, I, I get right into their heads. I totally understand them. You make them feel real. You make them seem real. So, I mean, that could be an aspect of it. I, I'm not the most talented writer in the world. I don't consider myself anything special. I don't know why. I really don't. I really don't know why my work has such wide appeal. But it does, and a lot of people have chosen it. Last year you sold 500,000 copies, correct? Yeah, I sold half a million e-books in 2011. That is simply incredible. That's more e-books than there are people in the country where I grew up in. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of e-books. <laughs> That's a lot of e-books. So yeah. really connecting with it, and it's, you know, I think, it's always really hard as a writer to kind of judge your own work, and you, you wait to hear back the feedback from the readers. Yeah. And if they're saying it's your ability to get into the character's head or allow other people to get into their head, that's probably what it is. It's, it, it is part of it. Um, I think another part of it, too, uh, you know, one of the things that I keep hearing a lot is that, you know, nobody writes hotter sex. Than Selena, <laughs> and there's um, that. There's that. Um, you know, but I don't know that that's true. I mean, I think there's. I think there has to be both. I think you can write really hot sex, and it can leave people feeling empty. 
But if you have characters, and like I said, part of the thing that I'm writing about is intimacy and connection. If you do not have connection between people, unless you're writing about disconnection, right. you know, but if you don't have that connection during sex, it's going to come off empty. And, you know, if, as a writer, you really have to put yourself, and I don't mean you have to write about yourself, but you have to put yourself into your work. And if you don't, people are going to know it. And if you do, people are going to see that and connect with it. So what is your favorite story that you've written? Um, my favorite story is, it's not one of my most popular, but one, my favorite story is called The Real Mother Goose. I decided to do um, a couple, I started it on Lit as a series of um, nursery rhymes. Mm -hmm. Little Boy Blue, Little Miss Muffet, Little Bo Peep. <laughs> And Mother Goose is a basically a dominatrix. <laughs> and um, it's very, I don't write fantasy. I, I don't write sci-fi at all because, you know, the hardcore sci-fi fans would, you know, hunt me down and shoot me for all of the laws of physics I would defy. So <laughs> I don't write, I don't write sci-fi. I occasionally write fantasy, but mostly I write about, about real people so that it was really pushing my boundaries to, come up with a really imaginative world to set this whole scenario in where, you know, flowers come to life and um, give people oral sex, for example, <laughs> you know, oh, I mean, that's great. It was, yeah, it was, it was really fun to create that world. It was a lot of world building, which I'm not used to. And so it was a lot of fun for me to do. And I guess that would probably be my most favorite. How long are the stories? They are, well, it, all of the stories are interconnected and they, they essentially create one whole story in one book. Each character is introduced at, in a new chapter, but the story is self-contained and uh, Mother Goose has become a dominatrix, but she's actually submissive because Father Goose has flown the coop and um, he's missing. And so the, the book kind of solves the mystery of where Father Goose has gone. And he comes back in the end. And is this separate from your Alice series, your fairy tale series, you know, Rumpelstiltskin? Yes. yes. Yeah. My the Real Mother Goose was my first foray into that sort of realm, fairy tales, nursery rhymes. I, I did the nursery rhymes first, and then I said, oh, "Gosh, I had so much fun with that. Let's do fairy tales." But I read a lot of the erotic fairy tales that are out there, and. You know, there's a lot of retelling of, of fairy tales, and right. some of them are awesome, and some of them are not so awesome. Some of them are kind of derivative. So right. I thought it would be fun to reimagine the fairy tales in a modern setting. Hmm. So that's what I did. I did, oh gosh, I don't even know how many I did, six, seven, eight of them. And I did, I, you know, I did a bunch of them. And they're, they're not very short. They're not, they're like anywhere from 10 to 15,000 words each. So they're still short stories, but they're still substantial. Right. I have to say that you did inspire me in that. I First of all, your covers are beautiful. Those yeah. Alice covers and stuff, they're just beautiful. And I looked at that, and I actually took the foray into um, Fairy Tale myself. But, I, again, you have to look at it and go, you know, what's been done, what hasn't been done. And I, I went the gay route. I went uh, Aladdin and his Prince Charming. Yeah. So something I didn't see a lot of the, in the gay material. So I, it's I true. Yeah. Yeah, that's a you know it's a good option to explore and it's a good to pay attention to what's already out there you know as an erotic writer. Although you know my husband said several times he said you know you could take the most common plot on the planet and make it amazing, and you know there like you said I mean how many erotic writers haven't written a babysitter's fantasy at this point or haven't written you know the older you know falling in love with your best friend's dad you know I mean I I don't think it's necessarily finding the most creative plot in the world either. You know, I, I think it's a balance between who you are as a writer and what you bring to the plot. You could, uh, you know, there's nothing original out there anymore. Right. It doesn't exist. Right. Now, having said that, bringing yourself into the plot, which of your stories is the most similar to something you've experienced? Well, I guess, I guess I would have to say the first one because, you know, when I when I first started writing, you know, it was the write what you know thing. So, you know, I wrote my my experience, my first girl girl experience. And then I started, you know, kind of blossoming out from there. You know, I, I write about 
threesomes and menage, but I've never had a threesome. You know, when I first wrote um, the Sibian Club, I'd never ridden the Sibian. Of course, I now I own one, but <laughs> it was one of the first purchases I made with the money that um, I started making with uh, my work. But at the time, you know, I'd never ridden a Sibian. So there's a lot of things that I've written about that I've never experienced. But, you know, I mean, writers about serial killers don't go out and kill people. You That's know, very true. we do our research. So I just consider buying the Sibian research. <laughs> and which uh, which of the scenes in your books would you most like to experience? Gosh, I guess in the past I would have said riding a Sibian, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I can't say that one now. Um, you know, it's not even a sexual thing. I, well, it sort of is. I, I wrote a book uh, follow-up. The Baumgartners have a lot of books now because people have keep kept saying, you know, we like these characters, bring them back, bring them back. And so I've I've done several sequels. I think there's six six or seven Baumgartners in the series now. One of them was called Letters to the Baumgartners. And one of the characters, Danny, is a woman. And uh, I'd want Danny's experience. She gets to go to Venice. She gets to have sex with two men who want her. I mean, talk about awesome sauce. (laughs) um, Yeah, that's probably, you know, the experience that I'd want to have most. Hmm. What is something that the stories reveal about you? that you in your normal day life wouldn't normally talk about or or reveal about yourself? Well, I guess, I mean, I don't have conversations generally with my neighbors and my friends about my fantasies, right. you know. I mean, you know, I write a lot about my own fantasies, and that's not something something that I share with, you know, anybody but my husband, of course, I can write about them and share them with thousands of strangers, right. <laughs> apparently. <laughs> um, you know, so that's one of the things that, you know, I guess that's what a pen name is for, right? Right. You know, I walk into, you know, the grocery store or the bank and nobody would have a clue what I do or what I write. Right. And what's the biggest risk that you've taken as a writer in the safety of that pen name? Probably, you know, it's considering the current climate, probably writing incest fiction at all. I'm the only writer out there that still has actual incest fiction, I think, you know, available. I think there, I think I know like maybe two others that have kept their incest fiction up there just because of the legal and, and political climate. It is illegal in 50 states, you know, almost all 50 states. Um, but there's a lot of things that are illegal that we write about. You know, there's books on bomb making out there. So, I mean, this is fiction. Right. So, you know, but I'm sure that at some point, you know, uh, someone could decide to bring some sort of obscenity suit, you know, and, and that's a risk. Right. But I, I don't know that. Uh, the Miller test would be hard to prove. <laughs> you know, it always is, right? And I can't foresee a point when I would say I'm not going to publish this stuff anymore. Unless, of course, you know, it's banned everywhere and there's no option. Right. But I think it's worth the risk. I think that the actual taboo part of the fantasy of incest is important to the psychological aspect of it. So I don't like taking it out. It feels like cheating to me when, you know, we do the stepdad and the daughter, you know, or stepdaughter. I know that people, you know, replace it. They they just fantasize about the dad as opposed to the, you know, the stepdad or whatever right. it is. But it does. It feels like cheating to me. And it feels like cheating the reader. And that's, that's not fair. And you choose to continue to keep them for sale because... Um, you know, it is a risk, but, you know, I think that, you know, people, people like them, people want to read them, and I think they should be able to read them. We're all adults here. Hopefully, we don't have anybody under 18 buying our stuff. Knock on wood. Hopefully. You know, because I'm a parent. I don't, I don't want kids to have access to this either. But I absolutely want adults to be able to read whatever it is they want to read, whatever it is that their personal thing is. So in all of your stories, the 60-plus stories, what do you think is the sexiest moment that you've written? Now, keep in mind, you know, sexiest moment doesn't always have to be about sex. It doesn't always have to be about anything. I know um, I wrote a story, and the sexiest moment that I've written so far in my, you know, 30-whatever, was I had this girl burning down a building with her inside of it, and she had taken the time to paint the room that she's in white and put a red chair in the middle of it and sit naked waiting for a fireman to come and rescue her. 
<laughs> with her red hair as the flames beat on the door. And that is, for me, that is the sexiest moment that I could possibly conceive of. I don't know why, but it is. But it wasn't even sex. Right. So what do you think is your sexiest moment? 60 stories, and you really want me to choose one. What? The sexiest. <laughs> There's always got to be something that kind of like, when after you write it, and then even when you write the next one, you still go, that was that was pretty beautiful. That was That was really, that was great. You know, for me, it's usually... And it's just my personal thing. It's usually a voyeur situation where someone is watching someone else. Um, I've got a, a book called Bluebeard's Wife, which is about a woman who finds out her husband has, has been calling sex lines, basically. And he claims to her that, you know, he doesn't masturbate and, you know, they have sex, you know, missionary style, you know, once a week. And she knows that he's got to be having fantasies and that he's he must masturbate, you know, but she can't figure it out. And so she discovers that he's been calling sex lines. And instead of like, you know, real life where you'd get absolutely furious and kill him. <laughs> <laughs> right. She decides to get on the other line and the extension and listen. And I actually, I started creating it on Literatica and I, I was recording it as an audio series and it's now available as an audio book on Audible. And one of the, the sexiest parts to me is her listening to him get off on the phone with another woman. Hmm. Don't it? Like you said, I mean, I don't know why that's sexy. It just is. <laughs> <laughs> so you've written a lot of books and you've been at this for a while. What do you get from writing? Other than, of course, the the wonderful income you make from it. What does it give you? Well, you know, I wasn't making money when I first started doing this. Yeah. Um, you know, when I first started on Lit, I was giving the stuff away for free. But I was getting something back. I was always getting something back. And the thing that I was getting back on Lit was feedback. You know, the feedback on Literatica, if you're an erotica writer and you're first starting out, go go to Lit and start putting your stuff out there and get feedback from readers. They're amazing. They give you lots of good ego strokes, but they give you also lots of good feedback about what isn't working. So it's kind of like tossing yourself in there and just going for it. And that's really, I guess, that's still what I'm getting. I mean, I'm still getting the, the feedback from readers. They're just voting with their dollars now, you know, and, and that feels really good. You know, I mean, all writers have huge egos. So, I mean, I think all of us, I don't know a writer who doesn't. I, honestly, I, I, I have, I've never seen a humble writer in my life. So, you know, I think we're, we all want that recognition. It's one of the reasons that we write is so that people read us and and we touch them in some way. You know, I enjoy making people feel good with my work. I also enjoy making people think. I enjoy making people, you know, I, I like pushing boundaries. I like going to the fringe and the edge. And, and, you know, there are people who don't like that at all. But I appreciate readers who can appreciate me. I can completely understand that. I, I might have an ego. I, I just might. <laughs> a little one? Maybe. Maybe a little one. Um, but also, on top of that, it's also the idea, for me, it's about pushing people to think about or experience something they have never experienced before. Yeah. It is finding that edge. Just what new thing can you bring to this world that has not existed before? Yeah. And, you know, I've always been... I've always been a writer. I've always been creative. You know, I, I wrote my first story when I was like eight. So I've been writing, you know, I wrote my first novel when I was 13 longhand, oh, wow. you know. So I've been writing. I wrote all through high school, got married out of college, and that marriage didn't work out and stopped writing for probably four or five years and then got back into it, you know, when I when I started lit. So I kind of really fell into the genre, but it seems to work. It does. Do you still write other stuff? Yeah. Yeah, I have um, several other pen names that I write mainstream stuff under. Which one do you enjoy the most? I enjoy them both. Erotica writing has become more problematic just because of Amazon banning incest fiction and then, you know, now this threat by PayPal. Um, it's been kind of two steps forward, one step back. You know, I've, I, I sold 500000 
ebooks in 2011, but if a lot of that stuff hadn't happened, I might have sold double that. Right. You know, so it, it becomes problematic when you consider it as an income source because am I am I'm making all this money writing erotica, but is it stable? Is it going to stick around? You start worrying about that when it becomes when it becomes not just fun anymore and it becomes a job. Right, right. I know. I I also write outside of erotica, and and you know I started writing I guess humor and then moved into action and. And suspense and stuff. And what I've actually really started to enjoy is being able to pull my non-erotica themes and the things I've learned telling those stories into erotica. Yes. Trying to weave those together. Yeah. And, you know, that's a lot what I was doing with my fairy tale series is most of them are <clears throat> kind of a thriller, suspense, mystery kind of. There's a kind of aspect to most of those that, you know, kind of weaves through the story. And so, yeah, and there are tons. I mean, there are tons of erotic, mystery, thriller, suspense writers. There's a, a huge fantasy, sci-fi erotic or erotic romance genre. So you can absolutely cross them without a problem. Right. And it's been fun doing it. Yeah. I'm sure for both is. of us. It is. So for new projects, I hear that you have a new website called Eden. Yes, it's a it's actually a division of Accessica, and it was um, Accessica, which you are the publisher of. Yes, I'm. I guess president of Accessica. Um, we're a publisher. We've got a hundred authors and five hundred ish titles available. Um, we started originally as a type of co-op situation uh, because we couldn't get on what was. The most popular website for ebooks at the time, a little site called FictionWise. This was before Kindle came along and Amazon started dominating the market. And they only allowed, they didn't allow individual authors. They only allowed publishers. So I went to my Literatica friends and I said, Hey, you guys want to publish with me? <laughs> and they said, Sure. And so we start, I started Accessica. You know, I incorporated it and we became a publisher and it just kind of snowballed from there. So now that Four years later, you know, we've got 100 authors and 500 titles. But Eden developed. Um, I never would have split it off if I hadn't had to. But because we received the call from PayPal saying that, I'm sorry, your incest fiction is not acceptable and it violates our so vague as to be useless terms of service, you have to take it off your site. Well, that made me crazy mad because here it was. Yes, Amazon had banned my incest fiction, but it was available on Barnes & Noble. It was available on Smashwords through Apple. It was available through Bookstrand, All Romance Books. It's still available on FictionWise. You know, it was available at all those places, and it couldn't be available on my website? Well, that's crazy. Well, then I discovered that I hadn't been the only one receiving the call. Bookstrand got the call. Smashwords got the call. All Romance Books claims they didn't get the call. They're just doing the stuff all these changes for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> um, so I said, you know what? This is incredibly stupid. I want to sell my own books on my own site. This is just dumb. So I decided, all right, fine. PayPal is the most well-known payment source out there. I'm going to look for an alternate, and I am. I'm looking for alternate ways for people to pay. But for now, I decided to comply with PayPal, and we kept the accessible site. We, we took those books off. But because I still want to sell them, I created a sister site, and we called it Eden. And um, so you can go to the Garden of Eden and look at all the, the and find all the naughty fiction you want there. <laughs> <laughs> um, and PayPal isn't paying for it, so the, they they don't have anything to complain about. And is it Eden.com? It's accessible.com forward slash Eden. Okay. Definitely going to check that out. And are you looking for authors? Are you allowing other authors to join in as well? Or is it just well, for... We Right now, we only have accessible books on there, but I have opened it up to other writers who have kind of lost their home for their fiction uh, because all of this is going on. So if there are other writers out there who have these topics and they can't find you know a home for them, uh, we absolutely will you know open our doors to you. And how would they contact you? My email address is, you can use our business address, which is publishing at accessica.com. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people uh, contacting you about that, considering the climate right now. 
Yeah, probably true. <laughs> so I would like to uh, wrap up talking about audiobooks. You have a few of them for sale. Yes. As you had mentioned, what are the titles of them? Um, I have two that I narrated myself. One is called Confessions, and the other one is Bluebeard's Wife. And then I have a third, Babysitting the Baumgartners, was put into audio. Um, I have uh, had a wonderful narrator. Her name is Natasha Wolf, and uh, she did that one for me. She's also working on a fourth one, my book, Heidi and the Kaiser, which is a BDSM novel. Uh, she's working on that one, so that is forthcoming. Will you be doing any more yourself? Um, I don't know for sure. You know, when I first started, when I first released the first two, they were already recorded because I had done them for Literatica as audiobooks. That was one of their categories. Um, so uh, they were kind of already completed, and I submitted them as kind of as is. And some of the feedback I got on Audible, you know, on, on Lit, you know, everybody said how awesome that they were and people loved my voice. And I'm like, you people are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm not, I don't have a radio voice. I'm not one of those people that I, I could definitely not be a DJ. You know, you have a radio voice. I do not. <laughs> so when I, when I did the audio, I was like, I was really nervous about it. And the feedback I got was really positive, at least on lit. Well, now there's been some audible feedback that I'm not professional and I never should have read it. And I should have hired, which is why I hired someone to do babysitting the bomb gardeners. So, I mean, unless I get hundreds and hundreds of letters from fans stroking my ego telling me <laughs> that I need to do another one, <laughs> I'll probably continue to hire them out. Well, we'll see what we can do with this podcast. Get some people to come in, uh, to write in and say, we want more of you. Yeah, we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when you were doing it, though, when you were doing it, what what did it feel like uh, creating the characters that you wrote? Because, you know, well, for those who don't write, when you write, you hear the characters speaking in your head. And me personally, I just kind of dictate what the character is saying. And I know that... Sometimes when the character is talking is different from what's coming out of your mouth when you're recording the book. What was your experience? Yeah, it's it's a definitely a different experience. And when I wrote, I actually, what was interesting for me is that I wrote Bluebeard's Wife for audio. Hmm. I specifically wrote it for audio. Interesting. So that a lot of the things, you know... A lot of the things that I did, you know, there were phone conversations and during the phone conversations, there were I I actually did sound effects for some of them. And so I I actually wrote it for audio. So it it was a little bit different experience than, you know, when I recorded Confessions, which was, you know, they were really, really short kind of scenes or stories. Babysitting the Baumgartners, I actually tried recording that myself. I recorded like the first two or three chapters of it and decided I was going to hire it out because I hadn't written it for audio. And, you know, doing voices is not my forte. (laughs) You know, I'm, I'm trying to be Doc Baumgartner and it's not working. You know, it's like, that's not, no one is going to listen to this. So it didn't work as well, you know, writing it, you know, having it translate from something that I had written for print into something that, you know, became an audiobook. Natasha did an amazing job with it, but, you know, she's a professional and I'm not. So my experience was I, with, with Bluebird's Wife, it was easy because I knew what these characters sounded like and I knew, and it was from her perspective. I mean, I had to do his voice on occasion, but, you know, it was from her perspective. You know, Babysitting the Baumgartners is, it's from a young girl's perspective, but there's a lot, the dialogue was very different and it really is a different experience from audio to print. Or from print to audio. Absolutely, I remember my first experience. I, you know, I released a couple of books. My first book was like Dangerous Daddy's Bad Boy, and when I wrote it, that is my first one I was going to publish, and I was all excited. And I, did, I decided to make the main character based on Colin Farrell, the Irish yeah. actor. Mm-hmm. And um, I, you know, I wrote in, in an Irish accent and all that stuff. I record my first book and my second and my third and whatnot, and then I said, oh, you know what, I should do I should do my first book that I published. I should do Dangerous Daddy's Bad Boy. And I, I print it out, and I'm in my booth, and I'm, I'm reading through it, and I'm getting into it, and suddenly I hit, he says in an Irish accent, and I'm like, oh! Uh-oh. <laughs> I don't know how to do an Irish accent. Yeah, yeah one of the books that I wrote, um, Naughty Bits, which is one of the incest books, 
it's written from a guy's perspective and it's it's in England. So, you know, he speaks in an English accent and, you know, everybody keeps saying, oh, you should do an audio for that. And I'm like, yeah, I, I'm not a British guy. <laughs> this is not going to work. <laughs> you know, well, maybe we can get your fans to write you and tell you which of their favorite books they think you should read, because I think that you should be reading more. I'm a big advocate of audiobooks. I love them. I listen to them. You know, I record them. And I, I think that more authors should be doing it. Well, you have a great you have a great voice. I mean, that's, you know, I, clearly it's something you should be doing. I don't know if it's something I should be doing. I think everyone but, should be doing it. Well, I mean, you know, a lot, you know, can can depend on your equipment, too, and how clear it is and, you know, all of that. But some people just have great voices that translate into audio and some people don't. I mean, I think mine's average. You know, I, I don't have an amazing radio voice, but, you know, I don't have, you know, I'm, I don't talk like Mickey Mouse. So <laughs> that's good. <laughs> but keep in mind, I mean, there's more to an author reading their book than just how, you know, amazing their equipment is. It's it's the interpretation that the author puts into it that they wrote into the book that can only be communicated by them. Yes, and I think that's what people were were really responding to when I did my own audio. And I think that people who were fans of me originally really enjoyed hearing my take on, you know, it kind of deepened the experience for most of those readers. And I think the negative stuff came from people who just casually picked it up and were expecting a professionally read, audible experience and didn't get it. Right. So. Right. Although it still sells very well, all of your audiobooks. They do. They they do sell fairly well. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm not giving, getting seventy percent, but they do sell well. <laughs> and if you do more, you can get well. You get fifty percent of you know. Right. The deal. Yeah. Uh, but I think for our audience, our listeners right now, we do have a treat because you have agreed to give us a little reading of one of your books. Which mm -hmm. reading? Which book are you going to be reading from? Um, it's called Unfolding. Um, and it's, uh, it's a story about a couple who, um, she has a kind of, uh, secret desire to be, um, taken. It's, it's a very taboo kind of thing. Not, not to the point of incest, but it's a very taboo fantasy for a lot of people, which is anal sex. And, um, she doesn't even really know that she wants it. Um, but her husband kind of has an inkling and is pushing her toward it. And so the whole book is, it's very anal. <laughs> <laughs> I warn you, if you read it, um, it better be your thing. <laughs> but the whole book is kind of a, uh, her unfolding or blossoming into enjoying this fetish and um, really embracing it. And before you start, this book is available where? This book is available everywhere. It's available on Accessica. It's available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. You name it, you can you can go find it anywhere. And before you start, I would like to thank you for being my inaugural guest here on Sounds Erotic. Well, you're welcome. I was I was very honored to be asked and to be your very first. And ladies and gentlemen, Selena Kitt. I know how I got here. It started in the shower. The kids sleep until it's light out, their internal clocks finely tuned to the sun, but Jack and I have to roll out of bed long before then. He always hits the snooze button at least twice, and I usually snuggle up to his broad, strong back until he rolls me over to reverse spoon and pulls my hips into him so I can feel how hard he is for me. There isn't a day on earth that Jack doesn't wake up hard. It makes me smile and wiggle back against him, all sleepy eyes and long limbs. It's a very rare occasion when we have time for morning sex and our rush to get everything ready and everyone out the door on time. Still, he loves it when I reach back and squeeze and tug on him in those drifting moments still caught between sleeping and awake. I like to imagine what he's been dreaming about, as I reach back and stroke him against my ass. What new flavor of the feminine has entered his unconscious during the night? A dark, exotic beauty? A long, slender blonde? Some cool drink of water? 
or maybe a curvy, fiery redhead like me. It's an awkward angle for me to do for very long, and sometimes he takes his cock in his hand and rubs it up and down the crack of my ass, or just moves the head against the soft skin of my cheek. Once in a while, if I've forgotten and worn panties to bed, I'll curl my arm behind my back and pull my panties up tight. He loves to see me bound that way, even just the suggestion my wrists twisted in the material and resting against my lower back, my bikini panties pulled taut and thin as a thong between my cheeks. There are mornings when he feels more urgent, when he grabs my hips and shoves his cock between my ass cheeks, rubbing it there, hard. Those mornings he will press into me and stroke his cock against my ass, his breath coming faster against my neck, his cock an iron bar, his hand pistoning up and down his shaft. I love listening to the sweet flesh music of his hand on his cock. It makes me moan and wiggle against him as I reach back to spread my ass for him. God, he loves that. And arch my back so he can aim his cock at the tender little rosebud of my asshole. That usually sends him over the edge, my hands opening myself to him that way. He will grunt and thrust and spill his cum deep into the crack of my ass. Those are the days I really need a shower. Once again, thank you, Selena Kitt, for joining me today. For all of Selena's books, go to accessica.com and look for her on Amazon as well as all places where erotica is sold. Finally, would you like to know what type of erotica reader you are? As a special treat for our listeners, we at Sounds Erotic have created a free erotica personality quiz that will help you figure out what type of erotica reader you are. Go to soundseroticpodcast.com, take the quiz, and get books based on your exact erotica personality type. It's fun and kind of hot. Thank you again for joining me. Alex Anders, and please join me next time on Sounds Erotic.